0: Matthew 2, uh, verses 13 through 33. Matthew 2, verses 13 through 33. This is the word of the Lord. Now when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Rise, take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt, and remain there until I tell you. For Herod is about to search for the child." Him. And he rose and took the child and his mother by night and departed to Egypt and remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Out of Egypt I called my son. Then Herod, when he saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, became furious and he sent Spoken by the prophet Jeremiah. A voice heard in Ramah, weeping in loud lamentations. Rachel weeping for her children, she refused to be comforted because they are no more. But when Herod died, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt, saying, Rise, take the child and his mother, and go to the land of Israel for those who sought this child's life. He was afraid to go there, and being warned in a dream, he withdrew to the district of Galilee, and he went and lived in a city called Nazareth, that that what was spoken by the prophets might be fulfilled. He shall be called a Nazarene. Have you ever seen the last episode of a TV series and just show, but a lot of people were into that show lost. And I remember when the last episode came out, everybody was disappointed. There were all these answers that were left, or questions that were left unanswered. And in some ways, this is a small glimpse of what it means to be a prophet. Can you imagine that you were given the very words of God, but you didn't always understand what it was. This dream. And at one point he says, You have to tell me what this means because my soul is despondent. And in that instance, an angel came and he explained to David what was going on. But more often than not, this was. in the life of Jesus. But why does Matthew focus on these fulfillments? I would argue that Matthew is building a case to prove that Jesus really is who he says he is. And he will do this throughout this book, throughout this gospel. It's as if he comes into the room and says, look, here's his badge. He has authority. three stories. And first we'll look at the the command to flee. The flight from Egypt. Second we'll look at the command to kill. Herod killing the children. And finally we'll see the command to return. So let's begin by looking at the command to flee. We see here that know from last week, from what we saw of Herod, that he is full of ma- malice. The Magi is in right Jerusalem, and he became quickly suspicious. He had a long history, as we saw, of murdering anybody who was vying for his throne. And the reality is here that the incarnation is real. Jesus' birth is real. If Herod's soldiers come in and stab Jesus with a sword, he will die. There's a need for protection. So God comes or sends an angel to Joseph. And he says to him, rise, go, take your son to Egypt, take your family to Egypt. Egypt at the time had a large Jewish population. It made sense for them to go there. It made sense for them to stay there. But even more so, as we see here, this was done to fulfill a prophecy. was given. It was speaking of Israel. But now we see through Matthew that the greater picture, the actual answer to the prophecy is Jesus. Jesus is the climax of all of biblical history. All God God did to deliver his people was brought about by his son. And so throughout Jesus' early life and on into his life. We see God's protection of his son. We see here that Jesus can identify with his people's heritage. Where was Israel before the Exodus? They were in Egypt. They were under the rule and the oppression of Pharaoh. The Old Testament promised by his father Joseph. In Jesus, the anticipated salvation that the people of Israel longed for has begun. He's the forerunner of what maybe we can call a new exodus, the time of ultimate salvation. Jesus has cut a new way through the wilderness, and he has entered. his readers, expects us to understand the importance of Scripture and the centrality of Christ in Scripture. But he also wants us to see here the reference to Israel's history. God declares Jesus' sonship when he draws Jesus out of Egypt. No, he doesn't draw him Forced to wander from place to place, just as Israel wandered in the desert for 40 years, he has no place to call his own. In this first prophecy, we see that Jesus has credentials to be the Messiah, but he also identifies with his people by suffering the same things. And the reality is that Jesus identifies us with us today in the same way. Israel or Egypt was not his home. Jerusalem even would not be his home. Even in Nazareth where he would settle. He would be despised and rejected. And more and more I feel like we get the sense that this world is not our home. Sin is no longer called sin. Good evil, and evil is called good. But the sweet joy and hope that we have is that we have been called out of this land to another land. Just as he called Israel out of Egypt, just as he called Jesus out of Egypt, he has called us out of this world. He calls Paul calls us strangers and aliens, saying that this world is not our own. But even more so, he gives us hope. He, Jesus, was what Israel was meant to be. Israel was called out under Moses. But what do we know about that generation? They sinned against God. They were not permitted to enter the promised land. Their groanings and sins against God. The one who come to deliver them kept them. out of Egypt as well. However, he did not groan. He did not sin against God. He obeyed perfectly all that was given to him. Even the law which was given to Israel, he obeyed perfectly. Jesus becomes not only the fulfillment of prophecy, he becomes the He had not heard back from the Magi. He said, once you find him, tell me where he is. But he's still full of malice. He's still worried. So he says, he he, he factors in, when did the star appear? When did the Magi get here? And he decides, it's been about two years, no more, no less than two years. So he has every male child, two years or under killed. Matthew tells us that this is to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Jeremiah. A voice was heard in Ramah, weeping and loud lamentation. Rachel weeping for her children. She refused to be comforted because they are no more. This is from Jeremiah 31. It refers to all the children that would be carried off into exile and would die in reminded again of Pharaoh in Egypt and his killing of the sons of Egypt. And yet the interesting thing is, if we were to continue on in Jeremiah 31, and Matthew certainly would have known this, and we got down to Jeremiah 31, we would see this. This is chapter declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah, not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, declares the Lord. But this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law. their God and they shall be my people and no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother saying know the Lord for they shall all know me from the least of them to the greatest declares the Lord for I will forgive their iniquity and I will remember their sin no more even as Matthew points to Jeremiah and he speaks of this lamentation and this woe He also goes on to speak of a day that's coming that he'll make a new covenant with his people. And he references very specifically Egypt. He says, I made a covenant with them when I took them out of Egypt. And what did they do? They broke it. They sinned against me. And yet I'm going to send one. I'm going to send one. will remember their sins no more. And what do we know about the Old Testament sacrificial system? That it wasn't enough. We could sacrifice daily, weekly, monthly, and yet we still had to sacrifice. Sins were remembered on and on. And yet in Christ, the perfect sacrificial lamb, he remembers our sins no more. Suffers as his people suffer. He suffers without sin. He is the promised new covenant with his people. And the reality is that today is no different than in Jesus' day or in the day of the Pharaoh and Egypt and Israel. There are many in this world that would seek to destroy and hurt us. And there are certainly times where they will we know there is suffering in this life. There is no guarantee that the wicked will not succeed. But the reality and the hope that we have is that when they succeed, they only succeed for a time. God preserves his people. He preserved Christ so that he could die for us on the cross. He preserves us through Christ that we may have eternal life. Satan buffet. He can wail against us, but he will not. He will not prevail. Amen. This fact should bring us great hope that when we endure sufferings, we know that God is in control. We know that the victory is not in question. The victory is won. Christ is already ours. would die, and it was safe for Jesus to return to Israel. Again, the angel comes to Joseph, and Joseph obeys the divine instruction and returns to Judea. And when he gets there, he sees that Archelaus was ruling in his father's place. Archelaus was an incompetent and cruel. so again, an angel comes to him and commands him to go to Nazareth in Galilee. And again, we see that this is to fulfill prophecy. Jesus would face much persecution in his adult year. But when he gets to Nazareth, he has this tiny short time of seeming peace. However, we have to that seems to have no worldly significance. And we maybe we'll go to the prophecy and say, well, what does the prophecy say? And we see that it might be, be fulfilled with the prophet said, that he may be called a Nazarene. The problem we have here is that there's no direct quote in Scripture that says he will be called a Nazarene. And so then what's going on here? This has been interpreted in several different ways. Some say that this means that he will be a Nazarite. A Nazarite was what uh, Samson was. That he would live an aesthetic life, a poor life. That he would be set apart, that he would be holy. And certainly Nazareth was of no consequence. We know that he was despised and rejected there. He was a no-name prophet from a no-name town. Others argue that this is taken from the word Nezer, from Isaiah 11. That means branch. It was a messianic title. I think that Matthew can maybe mean several things by this, but the idea here is not that it fulfills a certain prophecy, spoken by a certain prophet, but that he fulfills prophecy as a theme. Jesus was not to come as the king they thought he should, would come as the Messiah. He would come lowly. He would come perfectly as we need it, but he would not come in regal pomp and circumstance. This is what Scripture tells us. We could go throughout the Old Testament and see that He will come lowly, lying in a manger. set apart, but he is low. He is not significant to the world. So we have seen this story, but how are we to understand it? Yes, we see it as prophecy. Jesus certainly fulfills all that the Old Testament talks about. It. <clears throat> he is the promised one. We also see typology here. He is a type of what Israel should have been. He experiences the same things they do, but he experiences it perfectly. But I think we can turn to Revelations 12 and see a different perspective of what is going on here. I want to read for you Revelations 12, the first 13 verses, and I will try to get through this quickly as I know we're coming to the end of the hour. But I think we can see something, this reveals something, what is going on here. Revelations 12, 1-13. And a great sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and on her head a crown of twelve stars. She was pregnant and was crying out in birth pains, and the agony of giving birth. And another sign appeared in heaven, behold, a great red dragon with seven heads and ten horns, and on his head seven diadems tail swept down a third of the stars of heaven and cast them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman who was about to give birth, so that when she bore her child, he might devour it. She gave birth to a male child, one who is to rule all the nations with a rod of iron. But her child was caught up to God and his throne, and the woman fled into into the wilderness, where she has a place prepared by God, in which she is to be nourished. Now war rose in heaven, Michael and his angels fighting against the dragon. And the dragon and his angels fought back, but he was defeated, and then there was no longer any place for them in heaven. And the great dragon was thrown down, that ancient serpent who was called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world. He was thrown down to the earth, and his angels were thrown down with him. And I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now the salvation and the power of the kingdom of our God the authority of his Christ have come for the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down who accuses them day and night before our God and they have conquered him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony for they loved not their lives even unto death therefore rejoice o heavens and you who dwell in not even begin to get into in this passage. But I want us to see very quickly a few things. First, we have the dragon. This is Satan. Second, we have the child, who is Jesus. He calls him the one who will rule with an iron scepter. And if the child is Jesus, then we have the woman who is married. And we see here at the birth of the child, Satan is working to kill him. He would work against him his whole life, but At his birth, we know he worked against him through the person of Aaron. When Christ comes, Satan's overthrow is near. We see this dragon wearing crowns. He styles himself a king. But the reality is that the real king has come. Satan would eventually succeed in his plot to kill Jesus. But only Ready to day, lay down his life. This is a battle that has waged war throughout all of history, throughout all of Scripture. We can look at Cain and Abel. We can look at Jacob and Esau. We can look at Joseph and his brothers. We can look at Pharaoh and Moses and Israel. Tries to tear down the church. However, the Father preserves Jesus, even as he preserved him from Aaron. This is why we're told to to equip ourselves with the full armor of God that we may not fall victim to his devil, to his schemes. This is not a new battle. It's a battle that has gone on and on through history. But the difference between us and all those who came before us in the Old Testament is we know now with a certainty that the battle has been won. I love what it says in verse 10. Now the salvation and the power of the kingdom of God and the authority of his Christ have come. For the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down. And they they have conquered him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. Satan has been conquered by the blood of the lamb. Yes, he may work against us. But his defeat is sure. Victory has been won in Christ. And I close with this. Do you know this victory? Have you surrendered yourself to the king of the universe? Have you put your burdens at the foot of the cross? If you have done this, then rejoice in him. protected his son. He kept them from the evil hand of Satan through the instrument of Herod. And he brings them back to put them in Nazareth where his ministry will launch. From Nazareth in all of Galilee we will see the ministry of Jesus. The purposes of God are always good and perfect. All that we need, all that was necessary for us has come to pass so that you our closing